Today on the podcast, we are talking through the beginning of Esther. So this whole month, we are going to work all the way from Esther 1 to Esther 10. Today, we're going to start with Esther 1 and 2. But first, I want to read Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. This story is going to kick off sounding kind of like a little bit of a soap opera as the world turns, but in the day and age of Esther. This was a godless culture. Might feel very close to where we are living now in the day and age that we are in currently. It might feel like God is silent. I don't know whether you feel like that in your life right now. Where is God? But even in what feels to be a pause, that God is not there. He is never absent. Even in the missing parts, he is working behind the scenes. Hey there and welcome to Courageous Radiance Podcast. My name is Brittany Dixon. I'm so glad that you are here. It is a new month. September, fall, one of my favorite seasons. I'm so thankful for the pumpkin spice that I know is about to hit the doors on um, Starbucks, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, all of the places. At Kroger, I'm going to go get my creamer. What is your favorite part about fall? I love the the smells, the, the again, the, the warm donuts. I think about being from Michigan, the warm donuts and the, and the hay rides. And, um, and I think I just really like the the little bit of the heat coming down, but not coldness. So in Michigan, I mean, technically you still do it here, but in Michigan, fall is like boot season. And if you know me that you know I love fuzzy socks, I love all things warm. So you can hide your, your, your fuzzy socks in some boots and it don't look tacky. So I love all of those things. I don't know what's your favorite thing that you like about fall. But yes, I am Michigan born and bred, so fall is my season. So I'm really excited, but even more so, I am excited about Esther. So we are going to talk through the book of Esther this whole month. This whole month, we are talking through the book of Esther. And today we're going to start just a little bit. So we're going to do um, chapters one and two. And then each and every week of this month, we're going to get all the way to the end, which is Esther 10. And I don't know if you have ever read Esther, but Esther has been something that has been I've been chewing on this really for about a year. I've really been chewing on it about a year. And let me let you know backstory of how I backed into Esther. You know, I've read parts of it. Surely, you know, Esther 4 kind of going to, you know, for such a time as this. But to actually study it, nah, I don't have one highlight on here except for really in the book, the chapter 4. And I, I didn't understand even really context of it. But where I where I found and was, you know, exploring about a year ago, the book of Esther was in studying for a devotional for my teenage daughter, who is now 14. At that time, she was 13. And it's been something that I have been slowly nibbling at and chewing at because identity is so big. And we just finished this past month in August, the month of identity through Ephesians, which was amazing. It's something that was was and remains to be something that I have to continue to surrender to God. And then now walking a daughter, a teenage daughter, 
within this day and age. So, okay, girl, teenager, and within this culture. Like how you do that without the word of God, God bless. Best of luck to you because I've got the word of God and I'm still trying to like just by his grace. Okay. By his grace. So that's how I came into Esther. And today with, well, a month ago with bridging from identity in Ephesians to Esther today, it was nothing but the grace of God with that same idea of identity. And except for now, we're going to really talk through the lens of Esther. So it's so, it, it, to me, it also, it's just really parallel to where the culture is today and, and where it even is heading. So whether God feels silent to you in this season, you know, maybe you're living it up, maybe everything is going fine, but still, maybe God still kind of feels like silent because he's not really checking you on anything. Like your life is good. You're just really kind of doing your thing and you making the waves and you're doing it. Or maybe you're in a very low of a low and you, you feel like God is silent because where is God? God, how can you have allowed me to be married to this person? God, how could I have be, how, how can I be parenting this rebellious child? God, why did I lose my job? God, why are our, you know, finances not measuring up? Um, God, I have all the things I've done all the check marks. I'm, I'm working the job I want to, but I just don't really feel like I've arrived. So in the book of Esther, God is not mentioned once. And it feels like this don't even really belong, but it does. Like God is still present in his providence. And I know that that word sounds really churchy and, and all the things, but it, it God really is providential. It, he really was setting up the scenes. He always is, not really was, like past tense. Current, present day. God is presently setting up the scenes, which is why I really wanted to talk about this because I just wanted to encourage, surely, is this me? Is this you? Do you feel like you are in this place of hopelessness? Friend, you're not. Do you feel like God is silent and he's really just kind of like left you? He has not. And that is exactly what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to think and wants you to believe that God ain't think about you. Mm-mm. God, God has, God has moved on. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're kind of okay. You know, God, I mean, the enemy is going to align it and instill all of the, the, the doubts and then your flesh and all of our brokenness is, is just going to get further into ourselves. You know, the problem with self-awareness, I am all about becoming more self-aware in Christ, so more self-awareness, like through Christ's awareness, rather, rather than just self-awareness to just know more about Brittany. The more that I go into Brittany, the actually more lost I become because I am not the way, the truth and the life. It's Jesus, as John 14, 6 says. But going back to this book, Esther 1 and 2. So large kingdom um, in Susa. King Azarias was was ruler of 127 provinces, which, you know, when you want to think of, I don't really know if it equates to this, but just analogy. So the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I live, it's like all these different cities 
you know, within that Dallas area. So if you just say Dallas, it's like, okay, are you like really in Dallas? Are you like in Farmer's Branch? Are you in Addison? Are you in Carrollton? Are you in Frisco? Like, where exactly are you in Arlington? So he ruled all of these 127 provinces, which is how Esther kicks off in um, book one, chapter book, chapter one, verse one, um, provinces from India to Kush. Um, in those days, King Azarias reigned from his royal throne in the fortress at Susa. So King Azarias, uh, Persian king, uh, uh, godless king. So he was not a believer of Yahweh God. He was the son of Darius, King Darius. Think about like lions, Din, and Daniel. Grandchild, I love this name Cyrus because I have a nephew named Cyrus. So he is the grandson to King Cyrus, to the great Cyrus. So that's just kind of some backdrop on Azarias. So a whole bunch of characters. If you think about a story, if you watch a Netflix show, you think about the main characters, think about the scene, the plot. So there's King Azarias and there's Queen Vashati in this first chapter. And then um, Esther is going to come on the scenes. Mordecai comes on the scenes. So those are really the only people that we're talking about in chapters one and two. So just the first thing that I was thinking with this is, you know, God is never absent. So even though it doesn't, you know, start here and talk about the the history of, of God and what God is doing in the future, even though it doesn't say that, there's the inferred, there is the there is the obvious workings together, especially as we get into chapter two of Esther about God and what he is providentially, again, I'm sorry to sound churchy, but what he is doing, essentially think of behind the scenes. Think of if you're setting something up ahead of time. So I am a big proponent of doing all my stuff for my kids at nighttime. Um, number one, I work outside of the home. And number two, I leave very early <laughs> or, um, I also work nights. So I, I either I'm leaving before they, the kids are up or, or just shortly after they get up, or I am not home yet when they leave for school. So either way to help my household and to help my husband, I set my kids up at night. So my oldest is, you know, just trying to help her perfect that system and come along, Caleb, he's trying to get that system too, but I'm kind of the, the overall administrator of this system of, hey, we going to get all things ready, lunches, homework. It's not going to be, oh, I got to go grab that one more thing. Mm-mm. Nope. Oh, this outfit, I want to change it. Mm-mm. Your outfit is what you put out last night. So, you know, showers and baths and all that stuff. Morning, you just washing up. Listen, we night before. So we are going to set things up to prepare us for success the next day. It's really kind of what I think about with God, that he is preparing, he has set things up and not for just us. We we get the benefits of it, but this is about God's story. Like God is actually the main character. I said the four, but actually I, I missed the main character. The main character is God. It's God because this is his story. And then through God, God used Esther, Queen Vashati, King Azarias. Queen Vashati, King Azarias, future queen of Esther, and her um, cousin Mordecai. So let's jump in. And I actually want to jump in and talk about um, starting with, there's so many places to start. But let's just, let's start with just thinking about this brokenness. 
this concept of brokenness. And as we finished again last month with identity, talking about identity and being in Christ, image bearers, I thought of brokenness and my heart actually really broke with, with reading this. You know, I think at first with reading through, you know, I wanted to cheer, you know, come chapter two for Queen Esther because she kind of won the queen crown, so to speak, over these other three, four hundred um, virgins, young virgins who were also competing, which they ain't really competing. This is not this ain't um, this ain't idol. OK, this is not the bachelor or bachelorette. This is like they were forced into this. But nonetheless, she was the one that outranked them and became King Azarias queen. Now, how did we even get here? So providentially, um, because, you know, I've heard different. So Queen Vashati. So you've got this prideful King Azarias, prideful, showy, wants to just he's having this. He's like a live it up, you know, less party hardy all of the things for 180 days, celebrating himself, celebrate, helping, you know, just kind of encourage the, the, the officials for what's ahead in the kingdom, et cetera. So over 180, over 180 days, he is celebrating. Um, it's this extended party. And I don't know necessarily that all of them were there that whole extended period of time, but it was more so this was going on over this period and the different people from the different provinces came over this 180 day period to celebrate. So, and he did not do it little, like glass goblets in verse seven, drinks were served in an array of, of gold goblets, each with a different design. That tells me that's a favor, okay? So, like, if you've been to, like, a wedding and you get your little favor, little trinkets, mm -mm. this joker was, like, gold goblets and different design for each of them. Guess who's about to go over here and go melt that? Me. But that's another thought. But so he's just trying to just flaunt, flaunt, flaunt. So including his pride and his flaunting, he's also a drunk, and he also has issues with holding his liquor. He has anger issues. So all of these things about this King Azarias, and he wanted to flaunt his wife, his queen Vashati, who scripture says was very beautiful. Verse 11, this is in chapter one. Um, but verse 12 says she refused. She's like, no, 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 no. And, you know, I struggle with that because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, it's kind of in how you say it. Like, what if she was just like, no, I've got something else. I'm I'm over here entertaining. I've got this. Like, what if she did it? And I don't know if she was just like, I ain't going. Or if she was just like, no, you know, I mean, who really knows, right? So I can infer it. I can make it super dramatic, super soap opera. Um, but nonetheless, we know what scripture says. So let's not deviate. Let's not add our preferences. Let's talk through scripture. Scripture says she won't come. She refused. So he became furious. All of his haters were just kind of like fueling the furious flame with him. And they were more worried about the fact that they wives is, is, is going to, you know, that they're going to rebel against them based on this Queen Vashati's um, behavior. So anyway, she gets banished. I don't know if she was killed, but she was banished and he got rid of her. I'm fast forwarding, obviously. Um, so now he's wifeless. And then now, obviously, your, your drunkdom is gone. And now you're kind of sitting here like, hmm, I don't really have a wife. What do I do? I don't have a wife. You know, it talks about in verse two, sometime later, <laughs> when King Azarias' rage had cooled down, this is verse one, he remembered Vashati, what she had done. And what was decided against her. 
So I don't know if that meant like, dang, I don't really remember what I said, but I kind of regret it. I don't know if it's like that or if he remembered and he kind of became angry again. Again, we know what scripture tells us, but nonetheless, from that, he can't go back on whether he killed her or he banished her. Nonetheless, she's gone. So now uh, chapter two kicks off with, I'm going to look for a wife. But if you back up briefly in this, in this, you know, all of my notes as I was writing in here was just God was setting up the scenes behind her refusal. So whether her refusal was, you know, something, I mean, we can sit here and talk, you know, about why she refused, what were the reasons. At the end of the day, it was God's setup. Because again, let's let's remember, this is God's story. This is God's big story, not ours, not Vashati's, not Azarias, but it's God's. So nonetheless, this was God's setup. And then as we jump into uh, chapter two, um, it says by verse two, the king's personal attendance suggested, let a search be made for for beautiful young virgins. So this is where I have issues because I really dug into this deeper than when I first started reading Esther. And I put here, this was like the old day sex trafficking. It's really what it is. Um, it's these beautiful young virgins. Because again, this is not American Idol. They were taken. It says gather, gather by, by verse three, gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem at the fortress of Suzer. And, you know, that he has these, these, these eunuchs and their keeper of women. So this was sex trafficking all day. And so they were taken, they were forced into this systematic, um, you know, I, I, I've read beauty pageant, but to me, when I think of beauty pageant, I think of like, you wanted to be in that beauty pageant. You're trying to earn something. So maybe some of the women, but surely not all of them. Right but they were forced to please the king. They were preparing themselves kind of as that idea of a pageant, but not really to who's going to win his favor. Who is going to win as, Ooh, this is who I want as my wife. So they were forced into this, um, this, this system of preparations to get ready to prepare themselves to be um, not only their skin and their hair and everything to be prepared. And then they go off for a night with, with the King. So then in comes these next characters um, in the fortress of, and this is verse five in the fortress of Susa, Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shemai, son of Kish. He was a Benjamite. So Mordecai is the cousin, the legal guardian of, Esther, Hadassah. So Esther is her Persian name and Hadassah is the, is her Hebrew name. Um, so she also was beautiful because she had a beautiful figure, but, but this is where I wanted to, to kind of go to my notes. This is what I was talking about. I said, Esther Persian, which means star Hadassah Hebrew means myrtle tree, peace, love, prosperity. I always like to know what the, the names of mean of names mean. Um, but I said, her story is full of broken parts. Do you feel as if your story is full of any broken parts. Is there anything that you wish that, man, if I can just go take this chunk out of my story, or if, if I can just get a big eraser, or this story keeps coming up again, it keeps affecting me. I have trauma from this period of time. Um, you know, some different describers of Esther, she was an orphan. So her parents died, it, it mentions 
um, when her father and mother, um, this is in verse uh, seven, when her, when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So again, they were exiled. They remained there in Susa. So they didn't go back with those who, you know, sojourned back to, to Jerusalem. Um, this is post that 70 year again, exile, um, from King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian King, but they stayed. And so again, they had to remain hidden. Her identity had to be hidden. So that makes me think that you felt less than because you can't even be who you are. You can't even show true identification of you because if so, then you are outed and you're and you're less than. So she's orphan. She's less than within that culture, that day and culture. Um, she's exiled from her home and she's objectified because we're going to find that Esther was taken to the palace by, by, by verse nine. She was taken. Remember these young, beautiful virgins were being taken to be lined up, you know, um, like pigs going to a slaughter for this king looking for his wife. So she was also objectified. And I couldn't help but think, you know, man, the slim odds of being chosen out of these almost 400 some odd women. Um, and then what happened? So if you fast forward going to verse 13, we're in chapter two still. It says, when the young woman would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. She would go in the evening and in the morning she would return to a second harem under the supervision of the king's eunuch. Shagas, I have no idea how to say it, keeper of the concubines. She never went to the king again unless he desired her and summoned her by name. So it's these, so it's this odds of being disregarded, discarded further, you know, so for Esther, she's already kind of discarded because again, she has to hide her identity of being Jewish within this Persian um, pagan culture um, who didn't believe in Yahweh God. So now, whether you were Persian or you were Jewish and, and in hiding like Esther, you have this potential of being discarded and used, abused. And I said, and no name and purposeless. So it's like I removed hope. So they're young and they're virgin. They're going to a night with the king. Like, let me see who pleases me the most. And I don't think it takes a, a scholar to figure out what happened. I mean, now, did he sleep with every single one of them? Scripture doesn't say. We we don't know, but it's assumed. It's inferred. And, and then, again, then they go to this next supervision, which is the keeper of the concubines. So that's now going to be their fate. So this is literally the mindset of Esther. This is literally the mind space of which she lived in, right? You're... you're you're lost within this, this exiled culture. Um, your purpose is pretty slim to none. Um, no parents. Yes. You're loved by your, by your elder cousin who adopted you, which shows the beauty of adoption really. But, um, man, I just had to put myself in that time frame, and I had to put myself in her shoes to think about the hopelessness of that. If it didn't go well, you know? And so I wrote, Hope is not hopeless if you belong to God and hope is not in the fix or resolution of our situation. Because to Esther, you know, it's one thing if we read, it's one thing reading Esther from our vantage point right now, this day and this day and age, but Esther in the time of Esther, how did she know? 
how do you know what's going to happen? I mean, you can look back in your own life. Can you look back in your own life and think about, man, like, oh, God really spared me from some stuff or God didn't spare me, but I'm still here. So whichever and how, and if they both apply, just think for a second that when you're going through, when it feels like you're in the middle, all you have is this little slim view. And without hope that you're going through that on the other side of that, that there is another side of that, that's despair, right? Um, So these broken pieces of Esther, this possible further broken story, which is to come for Esther, uh, sits within the hope of a bigger story, a hope of a bigger purpose. And that's, that's us. We all fit. This is why this story is so beautiful to me, because we all fit within the beauty of God's bigger story and God's um, bigger calling of our life. So, you know, it's almost like Esther, she's later queen and crowned by the end of chapter two. Um, But she literally goes from this broom closet, you know, being kind of the lower to now she's in this palace. Now she's crowned. And that theme of identity comes back. So identity leading up to this is feeling broken and exiled and et cetera. And then still this, this theme of identity of, okay, who am I? Because my identity being Jewish is still not spoken of. It's like my husband doesn't know I'm Jewish. Those around me don't know. This is just between my cousin Mordecai and myself. So it's still this identity theme of where do I really belong? Where do I really belong? And, and, and God, what are you really doing with my life? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that. So y'all know I'm going to ask some questions, some questions and some applications. So question is, um, how has God shown his providential hand in your life? Just for you to reflect, how has he shown his providential hand? And again, that word just meaning when you think back to five years ago or 10 years ago or how maybe it was yesterday, you're like, oh, God really worked that out. You know, he was really setting me up. Um, or the fact that the hope wasn't necessarily that he changed it. Hope can't be that there's a resolution. Hope has to be in Christ because Esther didn't know. We don't know really how our story, the fate of our story, but there's still hope because it's in Christ. So next question is, um, where is the culture transforming you, conforming you rather than transforming you? Can't read my own writing. But where in the culture are you being conformed versus transformed? I read at the very beginning, Romans 12 too. And this is, a call for all of us to stop conforming, stop conforming to the world and rather conform to Christ, who is our identity, whom we belong to. And it's, you know, we're, we're set apart. So this story, as we're going to read from Esther one, all the way to to 10 really is this beautiful picture of being set apart, set apart by this God who even though not named, is inferred and who's working behind the scenes. So y'all, that's beautiful. That is so much hope because wherever this hits your story, whether you are um, severely troubled right now, whether 
you feel misled or misguided or betrayed or disappointed or depressed or anxious, um, or even if on the mountaintops, even if everything is going well, and it's like, well, how do I maintain this going well? Even if everything is everything, but what if it doesn't become? Your hope is not in that. The hope, again, is not in the resolution. It is in Christ. Um, so just kind of further going into chapter two, as we wrap this up, uh, it talks about more of who Esther was, kind of her being a daughter of um, of of her uncle's um, brother. So, you know, that the fact that Mordecai raised her, adopted her, and that's her cousin, elder cousin. But a word that I actually boxed in my Bible, um, I, I boxed it three times in chapter two, is the word favor. I boxed it in verse nine. And I boxed it in verse 15 and I boxed it in verse 17. Favor. So last thing I want to read is Esther gained, and this is um, chapter two, verse 15. Esther gained favor in the eyes of everyone who saw her. Everyone. So that indistinct, whether it's women or men. So she was just kind of that person. So Esther gained favor in the eyes of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Azarias in the palace in the 10th month, the month Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won more favor and approval from him than any than did any of the other virgins. So again, my heart just kind of takes a little, mm, little nudge just because I think about the fate of those other women at that time, but still God. So even in their fate, but God still sees them and they're still made in the image and God still loves them. Um, but this really sets the stage as we're going to get ready to, to move through this, through this book. Um, and I love the fact that that word favor was found because that I think of favor is being, it's the kindness of God. It's, it's the love of God. It's the mercy and the grace that, that we don't deserve that we get by God. So why did Esther gain this favor? Why did Queen Vashati um, just happen to refuse? Why was Esther beautiful? Why did God set them up when he did? It's That's again that peace that he was providentially setting them up for a bigger purpose. And you know, when you think about being set up for a bigger purpose, it reminds you of the purpose of why we're even here, which we are called to be set apart. We are moving through this lifetime for God's glory and for God's purposes. And God is there for you. God, so, so I wrote down a couple of things I really want to glean from this whole book, not just these two chapters, but that I think we're all in a battle. So I don't know what your battle is in life. So we're all in some battle, different levels and different seasons of it. And also we can't, says, I said, don't judge a book by its cover. God has a plan. God is sovereign and in control and God will repurpose our pain and plans for his, for his plan. So just kind of intro, whole bunch here um, in, in chapters one and two. But again, we've got this old queen who's gone, this prideful king who's now ushered in this new wife, Queen Esther. And she is um, going to be setting the stage to save eventually her people and not she and herself, but really it's by the glory and hand of God. So, man, I wonder about your lifestyle. 
I wonder about your life's work, your your story at the end of your life as somebody is going to talk about, I think about that, that I want to live my life as I want my, my life told in my eulogy at the end of my life. And the themes, I want to always be this allegiant identity to scripture, that I am not conformed to the world, but that I'm transformed by, by scripture and I'm living it out. So this is my first allegiance and um, living in God's grace and living in God's mercy. So friend, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to talking more with you. Listen, blog, 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 courageousradiance.com. Head there, download um, the free journal that is there. And coming up very soon, I'm really excited, is a 30-day marriage journal. And this is for wives, for us to be praying for our husbands, but not just for our husbands and not just for this, you know, Instagram worthy marriage, but this marriage that is God honoring and for the marriages that have the gaps, that have the trials, that God is going to sustain you in that and praying for your husband, not because he's worthy, not because he's deserving, but because we are called to. And how God, I'm excited to hear how God is going to be moving and working with you as you're praying for your husband. So on the blog, subscribe so that you can get ready to receive more information about this 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 ebook that's coming. It's going to launch on Monday, October 3rd. I'm really excited about it. Follow me on social media at Courageous Radiance, um, as well as the Facebook group made for you, friend, Courageous Radiance, so that you can get more updates and stay connected. Have a wonderful day. I'll see y'all here next week. Hey there, friend. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Head to the blog, CourageousRadiance.com, and you can get the show notes, be able to read the blog, and you can um, see the questions that I pray really equip you in your time, your quiet time with God, as well as um, the scriptures um, that were read today. I also pray that you'll get subscribed and you can get that five-day journal, as well as that um, you are equipped. If you're married, there's a marriage workshop sheet, um, just assessing your marriage and, and seeing, um, God's purposes in your marriage. I pray that that really equips your marriage. And then to come the ebook, the 30 day ebook, uh, devotional praying for your husband. I pray that that really sets you up in it and it helps you to see the beautiful hand of God working in your life. Have a great week ahead.